Hello, my name is Dr. Roger Henderson, and I'm a GP in Southwest Scotland, and I also co-host the GP Notebook Study Groups. Welcome to this GP Notebook podcast, where we discuss bite-sized topics aimed at all those working in primary care. Now, you can find us on all major podcast platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts, so do please follow us to receive notifications about new episodes. And if you like what you hear do please consider leaving a review to help other listeners find us. It really does help. You can also follow us on Twitter at GP Notebook for more information about new podcast episodes and study groups, and you can follow me there too at Roger the Doctor. Finally, you can visit gpnotebook.com for podcast episode show notes and to find out more about upcoming study group meetings. Now, in this episode... I'm going to be discussing testosterone deficiency in men, an increasingly common problem with significant health implications, but the diagnosis and management can present problems to us in primary care. We know that low levels of testosterone in men are associated with an increased risk of type 2 diabetes, worse outcomes in chronic kidney disease and COVID-19 infection with increased all-cause mortality along with significant implications for the areas of both mental health and relationships. Now, testosterone deficiency can result from primary hypogonadism or secondary hypogonadism. Primary, due to testicular failure, congenital or acquired, and secondary hypogonadism, such as due to reduced gonadotrophins, linked to hypothalamic pituitary disease. So we can look at congenital problems, such as things like Kalman syndrome. We can look at secondary reasons, such as pituitary tumours. And reversible secondary hypogonadism can also be the result of systemic illness, obesity, poor nutritional status, excessive doses of steroids, and drugs such as opiates, spironolactone, and marijuana, for example. Now, there are a great many potential signs and symptoms of testosterone deficiency that can suggest the diagnosis, and these can broadly be split into four categories, sexual, physical, cardiometabolic, and psychological. Now, look at these in turn. So, sexual. Now, erectile dysfunction is obviously the one we often think about, and it's often remembered in clinical practice, but it's very important to ask patients about any loss of early morning erections, including in men who are not in a sexual relationship. A very important point. The absence of these early morning erections can also be a predictor of future cardiovascular events. There may also be reduced libido, delayed or reduced volume ejaculation, fertility problems, or small testes. And it's important to remember that the commonest symptoms of testosterone deficiency we do see in our surgeries are low libido, loss of early morning erections, and erectile dysfunction. In the physical category, we can include reduced body hair, poor sleep, muscle weakness, significant fatigue, hot flushes, and occasionally gynecomastia. With a cardiometabolic side, You could find visceral obesity and a high BMI, and also metabolic syndrome and or type 2 diabetes. 
Psychologically, there may be mood swings and reduced cognitive function, along with reduced general feelings of well-being. Now, diagnosing test testosterone deficiency requires taking a careful history, performing a physical examination and arranging laboratory tests if appropriate. If you want to screen for testosterone deficiency, then assess men with erectile dysfunction, those with type 2 diabetes and a BMI greater than 30, if men are taking anticonvulsant, opiate or antipsychotic medication, or any man with consistent signs of testosterone deficiency. And the diagnosis is made from a combination of the char characteristic signs and symptoms being present, plus a reduced serum concentration level of total testosterone or free testosterone. It's the two taken together. So, from the history, ask about prescription and non-prescription drug abuse and assess for other systemic illnesses that may be present. If you feel it's helpful, you could consider using a validated questionnaire, such as the Aging Males Symptom Scale, the AMS scale, that can help evaluate clinical responses to treatment, if you wish. On examination, check the BMI and waist circumference, and assess the quantity of body hair present, including pubic hair. Check for any abnormalities of genitalia and for gynecomastia, and do a digital rectal examination to check the prostate. Depending on the findings, you can then go on to arrange blood tests. If you're going to measure the serum total testosterone, always measure this between 7am and 11am on at least two occasions, preferably one month apart, and ideally fasting. Also, I would suggest you do an initial prolactin to exclude hyperprolactinemia and also a full blood count because anemia can occur in hypogonadism. Now, if the total testosterone is low or borderline, by which I mean below 12 nanomoles per litre, then measure the sex hormone binding globulin to calculate the free testosterone. I'd also suggest measuring the serum luteinizing hormone to differentiate primary from secondary testosterone deficiency. And if fertility is an issue, then measure follicle stimulating hormone. If you want to treat your patient, then you need to accurately counsel them about the expected benefits and side effects of testosterone therapy to facilitate a joint decision on treatment choice. Patients can have unrealistic expectations about what testosterone treatment may do for them. Testosterone undoubtedly can improve sexual function, bone mineral density, mood and cognitive function, and can also significantly reduce the progression of prediabetes to overt type 2 diabetes. And it's obviously effective at improving erectile dysfunction, especially at total testosterone levels below 8 nanomoles per litre, and for salvaging failure of erectile dysfunction treatment with oral medication at total testosterone levels below 10.5 nanomoles per litre. It can also reduce the need for more expensive second and third line erectile dysfunction treatments. 
Now, the current treatment options that we've got include testosterone transdermal gels at 1% and 2% strength taken once daily, testosterone undecanoate intramuscular injections given every 10 to 14 weeks, and testosterone enanthate or propionate intramuscular injections given every 2 to 3 weeks. Personally, I would suggest short-acting preparations initially so that treatment can be discontinued or amended in the event of any side effects occurring. Now, an important point here, there is no evidence that testosterone therapy is associated with an increased risk of prostate cancer or cardiovascular risk. It appears to confer benefit in cardiovascular outcomes as well as significantly reducing the incidence of prostate and colorectal cancer, a point that's often forgotten, I think. There are contraindications to testosterone therapy, and these are locally advanced or metastatic prostate cancer, male breast cancer, if the patient has an active desire to father children, a hematocrit greater than 54%, and severe chronic heart failure, by which I mean class 4. An unevaluated prostate nodule or, nodule or induration, or a raised PSA though, must always be fully investigated prior to starting testosterone treatment. Untreated sleep apnea and severe LUTs have previously been considered as contraindications to testosterone treatment, but more recent evidence suggests that this may no longer be the case. However, these conditions should be fully investigated and optimally, optimally managed before starting any treatment with testosterone. So I do hope you found that brief overview of testosterone therapy treat, uh, helpful, and thank you very much for listening. Do have a look at the show notes that accompany this episode at gpnotebook.com. And we'd be very grateful if you'd consider following the podcast and leaving us a review on your favourite podcast platform. Do feel free to get in touch via social media at GP Notebook or email us support at gpnotebook.com. Now, if you have any questions, comments or ideas for future podcasts, we'd love to hear from you. You should also visit us at gpnotebook.com to register for our virtual GP Notebook study groups and also to download free shortcuts to help improve the lives of our patients in primary care. But, as always, until the next time, thank you for listening and goodbye. Mm-hmm.